Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 236, Finding Reasons to Fight. This week we're discussing series 10, episode 9 of Doctor Who, Empress of Mars, and season 4, episode 21 of Angel, Peace Out. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of the methodology. Cool. So, we're starting uh, with Doctor Who this week, the Empress of Mars, Mm -hmm. or Empress of Mars. I don't know, is the dove there? I guess maybe not. Anyway, so... I think I made that mistake, and it's without the the definite article. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, let's blame you. Um, yeah, so you had a couple production notes, I think, um, uh, start with. Yeah, just wanted to note, uh, that this is a Mark Gatiss episode, since I, you know, try to point out that kind of thing. Um, and we can talk about if there's any trends that we want to talk about there, if we feel like it. Um, the one whatever whatever trends may come up. Whatever in trends the of we, our might wanna, we might wanna we might wanna mention. Um Gatus gonna Gatus, as I said before we started recording. Um <laughs> I I feel bad. I like him. Um, but like yeah. Uh his episodes tend not to be my favorites. Um but anyway, the other really random thing I wanted to point out, because in case we don't get to it. I don't think it matters hugely for the plot of the episode, um, but I do want to point out the uh, classic series alien cameo at the end with um, Alpha Centauri is the name of this like kind of phallic-shaped alien with a giant eye uh, who sort of picks up the transmission at the end. Because mm-hmm. um, I think it's just one of the stranger cameos where like the music swells, like you're supposed to understand the significance of what you're seeing, but like, you know, a lot of new series people wouldn't necessarily understand, you know, which is not, that's not that unusual to make a reference that only certain people will get, but this is one of the stranger aliens out there. Um, This kind of androgynous, weird, uh, you know, kind of penis-shaped alien in a cape. That's w- <laughs> that's what it was back then, and uh, that's and what it is now. The, they didn't yeah. change a thing down to, um, even in the classic series, they refer to it as it rather than he or she, but it has this very high-pitched feminine voice, and so it's like this very confusing you know, bizarre thing that is, you know, hard to kind of understand. So, um, you know, one of the more interesting Doctor Who aliens there's ever been. And it's, I do kind of like that they just completely go for it and not just like have it kind of in the background, but have it be this like big culminating moment as if like, ah, Alpha Centauri, we've been waiting for you for 40 years. Like, I don't think anybody was expecting this cameo um or do we even ever expect to see this again maybe we will who knows right but nobody expects um, the office and tori inquisition exactly um yeah it would be i mean who knows 
maybe Chibnall will go for it, but um, it's hard to imagine doing like a whole episode with this, you know, with this particular alien nowadays. Um, but I would be interested to see it. If it's, you know, I thought it would be kind of like if there's like another new who in uh, 50 years, like if it gets canceled and comes back again, bringing like the absorbable off in for like, you know, <laughs> sure. like, like, I feel like that's I was going like, to say the Slitheen, but I guess that's even like too popular, too well known, right? Like, right. Like, yeah. Like I just, I'm trying to think of like, what's the like weirdest, most, I don't even know if controversial is the right word, but like the strangest one-off you know, that, sure. like, nobody would expect to have, like, a classic cameo of. Um, mm -hmm. And actually, this alien was in two episodes in the classic series, so it wasn't even a one-off you know, one-off alien, but... Sure. Um, but, you know, I don't think anybody was expecting it. So I kind of, you know, the audacity of that idea is kind of fun. So it's like if you're going to make a completely random reference do it right yeah just yeah go all the way all right well so on that note um now that we've gotten the stuff that makes no real impact to the story i shouldn't say no impact because like you said it like it's sort of the culminating moment um but well they act the music acts like it is but it does it's not really like it doesn't really well, have anything right. to do with the sure. episode in the end um yeah so now that we're past that uh <laughs> uh all right so let's start off with sort of the opening situation which um like the doctor's like, like how far have we gotten with like Nardal here? I know we're okay. Typical Curtis. I say let's talk about Nardal and Missy at the end, and the, Start the with first the thing last I bring item up on the bullet point yeah. is how how far of a change have we seen from Nardal here? But like the point that I'm gonna make here is that like when we first see Nardal, right? He's very well, prissy. Like, he doesn't stop ever being sort of prissy. But, like, his his whole thing is, you know, with the doctor, like, you have a job to do. And I my job is to, like, see you, you know, through your job, right? Like, to get him to stay on task, basically. But now you have the doctor, like, taking Bill and Nardal for, like, a little day out. And it's like Nardal's mm -hmm. sort of completely embraced the doctor is like a jailer can't be, you know, watching the jail all the time kind mm -hmm. of part of it. Now I'd like to think that that was like an intentional, like evolution of Nardal's character. I don't know if based on sort of the comments we were making a little bit, like, well, even the comments you just made about like Gatiss, maybe not making your favorite episodes, like, are we meant to believe that this was like a, you know, uh, definite decision they made of like, you know, let's have Nardal like kind of loosen up a bit and go out and about um, mm -hmm. now that we've seen him sort of less intentionally going on, you know, several mm -hmm. adventures um, and less willingly, maybe going on several adventures with the doctor and Bill. Mm -hmm. um, 
As we've said before, we don't necessarily need to get into the crit fic aspect of that. So maybe we just believe that like this is an acceptable evolution of Nardal's character. Um, that maybe he's being a little less um, careful or a little less attentive to the mission than maybe he should be. Which I think, if we think of it that way, kind of works with the stuff that comes later. Which I'm not going to talk about. <laughs> I'm just going to mention that we should talk about it later. Um, and move on. Yeah. Well, or, I was actually... I like, mean, let you so, respond, but like, no, I don't want to get into like the later stuff yet. Is all just to respond to that, yeah, like, we can't crit fic in the sense that we can't know what they were thinking. So that's, sure. you know, that aside, um, what we can do is look up production blocks to see when things were filmed. <laughs> okay. Um, and actually, I'm, su I'm surprised to find out that um, I'm looking at it now. And um, this episode was shot late in the season production, which I would have, my guess was going to be, well, Nardole's a part of it because they shot this early on and they didn't know yet what they were going to do with the characters, you know? And so it okay. feels like good characterization, but it's really that, Moffat just told him, oh, these are your characters. Just do a one-off. It doesn't matter. And we'll fit mm -hmm. it in somewhere. Um, but actually, like, this was filmed after the whole, like, Monk's trilogy of Oxygen, Extremis, Pyramid at the End of the World. Um, okay. Now, it could have been written before those things or written independently of those. So maybe it was just that he didn't take into consideration Nardole's full characterization but I mean they didn't they also didn't go I mean they, they could have since this was filmed later I guess they could have done rewriting so mm -hmm. they had time to kind of course correct or finesse things so who knows maybe it was one of those kind of serendipitous things where it ends up sort of serving the character whether or not that's the reason they did it that way um because I had the same thought watching it was like oh Nardole's just like one of the TARDIS crew now and that's right. just accepted and expected by the audience and we don't even have to have a whole scene about how he got brought along reluctantly but would rather go it's just like no he's part of the adventure right they they, they went out for like for a day out the doctor says right like it's right right yeah right so yeah, I mean, like they were yeah, whether... a little cabin fever and had to go, you know, yeah. see the sights and visit yeah. Cape Canaveral or wherever they are, Houston. Yeah, know. yeah. So yeah, I mean, intentionally or not, I think that does that does work. We're seeing Nardole, even if he doesn't completely ever like loosen up, like you said. Um, certainly more so than in like the first half or you know, two thirds of the season. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I guess it remains to be seen, like, how does he act next episode? Like, is there consistency or, you know, if not consistent, I don't mean consistency in how he acts necessarily, but a consistency in the sort of progression of his character, I guess, um, would be interesting to see if that mm -hmm follows through or if we get a sort of reversion and it i mean and a reversion doesn't necessarily mean it's not natural i guess like there 
it just kind of depends on how it might play out. Sure. Um, I said, though, that I was going to save Nardal and Missy till the end. So, like, let's move on. So we get there going on a day out to, um, like, NASA. NASA, not NASA. That's <laughs> um, NASA. And um, I don't, like, uh, what was the, like, Valkyrie mission? Which I was trying to, like, they're not real consistent with, like, their references here and i was trying to think like they do mention like the vikings later but like mm -hmm. that's like it like there's no there's like nothing more than those two references so it's not like it's not like um in uh in the tv show the expanse where they have like the running um cervantes like mm -hmm. you know references and stuff um which i really am enjoying but uh i was hoping maybe we would get more like when i noticed you know, Valkyrie. And then I heard like the Vikings later. I'm like, Oh, maybe there's like something deeper here. And mm -hmm. then Mark Gatiss came through and did not do anything deeper. Um, I mean, I guess you could, you could see the choice of Valkyrie as a nod to like specifically female warriors, you know, given, sure. given the title and the fact that, you know, I, I just Mars, meant like, yeah, yeah. I, I meant deeper, like into like Viking mythology and stuff. But you're right, like right. I, there, there's, there's certainly, there's certainly an addition, like the symbolism there that you could that you could latch onto from, um, like the the female warriors, and especially where, like it's, like I think it would that would be tough to do, except that like the Ice Queen explicitly calls out to Bill in the one moment of like. And what are your thoughts? You know, both of us sort of surrounded by men. Mm -hmm. um, and then you also get like the the one red coat laughing off Bill's um, mention of the police and how ridiculous it would be for like a woman to be a police officer, mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. So so you're right. Totally can um, look at that as like sort of symbolic maybe of. Yeah you know, female warriors and like that kind of thing. Um, I, I, but, when but I that said does that seem to be it, like, what, I don't think there are other references to Norse mythology. Yeah. I was just, that's, sprinkling. that's what I was yeah. thinking of was the Norse was something deeper in Norse mythology or more of a connection between the different parts. And there just didn't seem to be. So that's, that's where I was disappointed, I guess. Mm -hmm. But anyway, um, you know, the, so there's these, they're at NASA, there's these Mars rovers, and uh, they spot a, uh, what was it, like, stones or something, like, spelling out, God saved the queen um, mm -hmm. on on the surface of Mars, which isn't, I, I'm not sure, but I don't think that would be a natural formation. So that's what <laughs> makes them kind of think that maybe there's something going on there. Something worth investigating. Um, sort of high level before we get into like the the notes here uh, on like the plot of the episode I always wonder with stuff like this like how much do we try to reconcile this with like waters of Mars hmm. or like I mean I know that there's like other things that happen on Mars throughout Doctor Who. Sure. And even like the mythology of the ice 
uh, warriors and whatever, like goes back to classic who, right? Like mm-hmm. um, we've only seen them in Cold War in New Who. Is that true? Or was there another episode? I think just Cold War, yeah. Um, and that was like... I think they get a mention in Waters of Mars. They get like a name. He says... Okay, so there there's is... There's like a reference to the the mighty ice nation that once sort of ruled this planet that's long since. So sort of so, this kind of fallen empire in, in history. Um, yeah, and it's been a while since I saw that. So maybe maybe that is handled in that episode like... And and that would still fit then because this is like they were lost. It's just they were like there was a whole bunch of them sleeping under the mm-hmm. ice caps. It's not mm-hmm. that like they actually are dead or you know completely gone. Well, do we even determine in this episode when this is? When does this episode? Um, no, but take I, place. I would I would assume. We're, we're pre-Waters of Mars here, probably, right? Because we're just sending rovers. We haven't sent people yet. Yeah, right. But Waters of Mars was in the future. I right. I assume that this episode, obviously, since in our current present timeline, we also haven't sent people. Um, yeah, and only rovers. but that's what that's, I guess that's what I mean is like I. I would have just assumed based on like the design of the NASA NASA station. Why do I keep saying NASA? <laughs> I, don't um, I don't it's like a block. Um the the design Now that of, like, you've started, you can't stop. The NASA station is uh like contemporary to our, our present time. Like that's kind of the assumption that I just because I feel like if they don't say specifically this is in the future or the past, you kind of just always assume like we're defaulting to yeah unless there's like some obvious like right you know cultural or whatever shift so that's that's where i which you know i mean those victorian soldiers are well preserved um if that's the case right because i mean we're not in victorian times they were a little while ago no so do they go back? The NASA station is contemporary, but the doctor travels in time to go back. Oh, did I miss that? Did I think that? he I think he he can he figures out when the message was made basically. Oh. And goes maybe. back in time to So the actual so adventure when they're on, on Mars, Mars is Victorian. It yeah. is Victorian times. Yeah. I, how did I miss that? I told, I must have blanked out. Or something. I think there's like a line. It's probably just like one line to explain why we're suddenly in Victorian times. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um. So that means it's even further away from Waters of Mars. Well, so okay, yes. So that brings up the question, though, of what what does that mean for Cold War? When when does mm. the when does the um, Cold War was the eighties, right? So this is after the awakening of the Martian queen and warriors, right? So would that have been like, like are right. we just meant to believe that there's a bunch of like Martians like scattered around the Earth at various points in time, like sleeping? Maybe 
I guess so. Um, like, could we run it? We could run into other ones. Presumably. It kind of seems that way because they find Friday. Where do they find him? South Africa or something? Yes, in Africa or something. I thought. Um. So. Um. And then. Right, because like you get the sense that these are like, not just like British soldiers, but these are like British, you know, colonial like. Right. Uh, uh, enforcers. Right, this <laughs> or, is like Zulu or something. Like, this is yeah. the colonial army. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. that yeah. they're, uh, uh, they're an invading force. Right. Not, not a home front, you know, protecting, protection right. force. Right. So, um, yeah. And so then in Cold War, they find him in a block of ice in the arctic or something so i guess so, it is just like there are just random like maybe the martians are doing their own colonial raids and people occasionally get left behind you know and they're either asleep or they're frozen and kind of waiting to be yeah. sort of because then in cold war at the end he he gets rescued a ship comes and picks him up and that makes me wonder like is it is it this contingent is it like the remains of this particular Martian empire that like, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know whether this queen is still alive. I don't know what her lifespan is, but maybe like, maybe this is the colony on Mars that is still sort of active by the time Cold War happens. Sure. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, just trying to think through. I mean, and also like I don't. I haven't seen the classic stuff, so I don't. I don't know if any of the stories there match up with anything that would work into this. Like, and I'm I'm not there yet. I'm sure. working on my classics, but I'm not. I think uh, I have a little ways to go before the Ice Warriors start showing up. So I'll I'll have to pay attention when they do to what sort of time periods and geographic locations they tend to turn up in. Mm -hmm. Make probably just look it up, but we don't have to, we don't have to derail this podcast any further. Yeah, no, I, I just, just trying to think through, cause like we've had a few stories on Mars and or about the ice warriors now. So I just wanted to try to figure out. Mm -hmm. Not that, I mean, and with Doctor Who, you could always, like, lean on the, well, the timeline changed and, like, something, you know, sure. like, yeah. probably triggered something else and whatever. That's, which is fine. I just, I like, if we could figure something out that seems reasonable and, and mm -hmm. all of that, then it would be. Um, well, and they don't usually make it too specific. Like, they kind of leave it fairly nebulous so that I think, you know, you, you they throw a couple dates out there or mention, like, oh, the mighty race of ice warriors, whatever. And you can kind of, like, just by sort of headcanon talking it through, you can kind of work, a, like, your own little fan theory as to, like, how do, you know, Empress of Mars, Cold War, and, and Waters of Mars fit together in a timeline? Like... 
is that is that spelled out in those episodes not necessarily but they don't necessarily contradict each other either Um, no no and i didn't i didn't even necessarily mean that they would i just was trying to figure out like where it all fit in um yeah and certainly sometimes there are outright contradictions so (laughs) but I, i don't think there are in this case I think they're for, they're separated enough in time that you can kind of like imagine they're in a a loose continuity. And so just the other thing before we get into like some of the situation and plot and whatever, um, whenever you have a Victorian episode that doesn't have Vastra and Strax and, um, oh, shoot, who am I? Uh, what's the human? Jenny. Jenny. Thank you. I should have figured that. Um, it's always a little disappointing, I guess, but you know. Sure. You can only you can only do so much, I guess. Um, we have not had them since the beginning of the Capaldi era. They were in right. One they episode. were in the first episode, right? Mm-hmm. Which like an interesting, interesting and choice. You you think about like because it's not just this, but then also like the the Frost Fair episode, uh-huh. right? Could have potentially been. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was a little before. Wasn't that more like, right, like regency? Regency, kind of. yeah. yeah. Um, so, but you know, yeah. Anyway, all right. So, um, yeah, the Martian Friday, right? Not not the Man Friday, um, but the Martian Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, a disappointing literary reference that doesn't really like. They don't really like follow through on it. Um, other than that, he's kind of like the reliable butler. Yeah. You know. I mean. Which is I fine. Mean, it, like, it's, again, it's, like. It's, yeah. I always just want more. I, I want like a little more <laughs> in depth and like yeah. thought through stuff. And like, it doesn't always have to be. And like, I mean, certainly, certainly the Weedenverse shows that we do that just have sort of the throwaway references too. So I guess I'm not. I don't mean to like be too critical here i just like mm-hmm. it's like oh okay because so robinson crusoe yes let's let's see what this is and then it's like okay i mean there's some like okay they're kind of it's an abandoned planet and or an isolated planet and like they're surviving i guess but like it's all like very surface level it's not that and know. that's what i was gonna say is i think the little references are there it's just they're very shallow like you know, it, it's the kind of, yeah. he was stranded by himself, and now they're kind of, you know, shipwrecked. They have to name on... the alien, and of course, like, the literary British, you know, yeah, uh, colonel is going to, like, choose, you know, some famous reference, you know, book. And that's well, fine. and there's some, I, I wouldn't argue that this is going for any, like, you know, uh, or or that it achieves any great, like, deep statements on anything. But, like, you do have the kind of, like, post-colonial, you know, overtones to the mm-hmm. Victorians, you know, and they're, you know, I mean, the, so the Victorians and the empire of Mars being kind of paralleled as, you know, warlike, um imperialist powers um but also like 
the Martian Friday kind of being the, the other among the white male soldiers, you know, who's kind yeah. of, you know, like, I, I think that it is there. It's just that like, other than being there to notice, mm-hmm. is there anything more significant to the references? I'm not sure that it's designed that way to like, you know, it's just, I, I, you know, and I think some of that is like Dr. Who doesn't always, you know, go that deep with the literary references, but then I don't think Mark Gatiss really, I think Mark Gatiss likes the references, but I don't know that he's necessarily, um, right. Going to give you the juiciest, like analysis or parallel to a, t- a literary text. It's it's right. It's it's signaling more than reference. Like I sure. mean, it is a reference. So I guess I don't mean to say it's not a reference, but like it's it's just it, it's. I think it, maybe that's what bothers me. Actually, now that I say that, like maybe that's what bothers me because it, it does feel like there's a like wink, wink. You know, did you catch that behind some of these? Which it would be nice if they were just a little more developed and more like, that's okay. Like, it's okay to like, maybe kind of wink at the audience and say like, Hey, here's a reference. But like, could we just get a little more than that? Like, mm-hmm. can it be not only that? Um, and I, I don't know. I, maybe that's why it bothers me a little bit um, mm-hmm. that it doesn't, it bothers me that it like the references don't bother me. What bothers me is that it, they don't go deeper than mm-hmm. the sort of surface level. That they yeah. yeah. Um, but that's okay. So, yeah, Friday. So he's like, obviously playing the part of the butler. Like they all, like like you said, like he's the, the other. So of course they all just sort of assume he's the sort of ignorant local, you know, native right Mm -hmm. like and doesn't really he's just like kind of there to serve them and he doesn't apparently there's no like threat to him at least that they have perceived Mm -hmm. you know um yeah and he doesn't even really maybe that's what is missing is more with friday as a character like he doesn't really seem to mind serving them one way or the other Mm -hmm. um you know, or we don't really get much from his sort of, other than kind of wanting their help with getting home and, you know, activating his hive and everything. I don't feel right. like we really get a sense of, like, a motive or a point of view from him. Um, I mean... Well, no, and so what's interesting about all that is, like, so, like, like you said, like, the the primary motive initially is to like get their help to get him home and then when they're there like he gives them like this like oh you know you'll get like gold and jewels and all this stuff and let me teach you how to use this like thing to like mine all the stuff from you know the core of mars which they're like yeah we're not finding anything but you know we should soon obviously like in retrospect, we realized this is all a ruse. Like, you know, the Martian Friday had a long game that he was playing here, and that's why he was acting the way he was. And, I mean, you know, he's also alien, so, like, 
maybe he's having lots of thoughts and emotions that are just inscrutable to us that mm -hmm. would, you know, to any uh, Martian show contempt or maybe he has the same exact attitude towards all the English, you know, Victorian Englishmen as they have towards him as, you know, the alien weirdo, whatever. Um, but what's interesting to me is that once they do unfreeze the ice queen and all of that is that he actually like seems to like them. Like he, he seems right. to genuinely have a kind of fondness for them. No, again, maybe it's the sort of fondness that like an invading colonial army has for like the sort of noble savage natives you know, right. or vice so the, versa. The, the like, tables have turned, like, like they're acting like he's the savage and really it's sort of, yeah, he's sort of humoring them and like, oh, aren't they cute? You know? Yeah. They're like the, the, yeah, they're, they're the samples that he brought home of like these savages from this backwater world that, you know, he had gone to previously or that kind of thing. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, and then they get uppity, right? Like, and start shooting and stuff mm -hmm. so but even i mean i'm but, kind of i'm skipping yeah yeah no yeah, and yeah. that's why i skipped ahead like i think it's fine because like we don't have to go we don't i mean we can talk about some of the specific red coats but i think it's more like the interactions there i find more interesting because he does like even when there's like the shooting and stuff it's almost like the you know for, forgive them they don't know any better like you know what i mean like there's that still kind of that like yeah. He he's like interceding for them even when like uh uh the ice queen and I keep forgetting her name. Um Iraxa. Iraxa like wants to just crush them and like right. get rid of them. Right. And that is one area where maybe I'm not giving them enough credit for differentiating his personality because it seems kind of like just generic or bland or whatever but his his niceness is one way that he's different from pretty i think all the other ice warriors we've seen that like they are proud and they are warlike and they tend to be aggressive um and sort of bloodthirsty and looking for you know uh you know enemies to conquer and easily offended into you know you know mm -hmm. wars are triggered rather easily with them sure. um and like friday doesn't seem to he seems to kind of buck that trend of the bloodthirsty ice warrior um who like when the fighting breaks out rescues the good guys and says we must work together like he's right. this like peaceful ice warrior you know which i guess that does make him you know, th that seems to be his unique, personality. Yeah. That's what makes him unique um, among his own people, I guess. Sure. Um, yeah, and I kind of like, I mean, I guess you could see in that like a echo of the, the, the noble savage of Robinson Crusoe and stories like that. But then it also is kind of flipped if you think that from Friday's point of view, he's the advanced right. civilization. 
And he's got all these sort of bumbling sort of yokel soldiers running around, like starting a war that they're never going to win and they don't know any better, like you said. Right. Yeah. Um... So, I, oh, one more thing. I also want to point out um, the similarity of having him serve them tea at the table to uh, Gatiss's, um victory of the Daleks. Um, where, You'll have to you remind know, me. Where Sorry. It's with Churchill. Um, where the Daleks serve them tea. Um, uh, during the blitz, like they have, right? They yes, they think they've invented the Daleks as like a war weapon, like a machine yep. to win battles, and but they're kind of using it to, like, you know, would you like tea and biscuits? The Daleks says like very pleasantly. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know whether that was meant to be another little callback, but like a little motif. That Gatiss sure. seems, you know, both written by Mark Gatiss, like, he seems to enjoy, like, having these really aggressive, scary monsters or aliens, like, you know, mm-hmm. make make a comedy scene out of them serving, you know, tea to these seemingly sophisticated British soldiers who are kind of idiots because they don't realize who it is that they're asking, you know. They kind of see themselves as better than everybody else, and they're not realizing who it is that's actually serving them. Right. Um. Yeah. I had forgotten about that uh, episode, so thank you. It's a forgettable episode, but um, one of the very good parts about it is, I think, a Dalek saying in a Dalek voice, would you like some tea? I remember that now that you bring it up. Yes. Um, Yeah. Uh, So, yeah. So, um, I don't, we don't have to talk about all the different red coats, but um, is, is red coat, like I'm a, you know, I'm a colonial American, obviously. So like, you know, red coat to me is just, fun to say Mm -hmm. um is that is that offensive to brits i don't know like should we should should i should should i uh avoid saying that um Uh, british listeners please let us know if that's offensive we won't say it anymore (laughs) does that offend i mean they literally are wearing coats that are red so right um, well and i guess they i i guess they would that term would still apply here i just think of it so strongly with the you know, colonial era or the revolutionary war era. Um, sure. But, um, but they are indeed their military <laughs> uniforms are still red. So maybe that also applies to these Victorian soldiers too. Um, yeah. So the two that kind of drive that part of the, the story anyway, are, um, Godsacre and catch love. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we need to like. Is there any like symbolic thing with their names? I couldn't really think of. I doubt any, it. And they're like, just very pompous. Yeah, 
upper class twit kind of, you know, English sounding names. Um, you know, yeah, I don't know that. I mean, Catch Love doesn't, he's not, he, he doesn't enact his name, you know, like, I right. guess they're kind of. Right. So maybe a little ironic. Like, yeah, playing with, like, the irony of how kind of civilized their names are versus their selfishness and cowardice that they kind of mm -hmm. actually, you know. And I, I think in, in, in a shallow way, this episode is kind of playing with those ideas of, like, you know, undermining the the Victorian soldiers. and. Mm -hmm. And how lofty their ideals of themselves are and, and, you know, what their, you know, their ideas of what they're fighting for and, you know, the value of the empire and their kind of right to have mastery of the world. Um, right. You know, like, yeah, having kind of ironic names that they don't live up to is a way of kind of subverting that idea. Right. So, um, Colonel Godsacre, he's the man in charge. Um, Captain Ketchlove, and did I get their ranks correct? Mm -hmm. Um, is kind of always trying to sort of undermine him and, you know, not real happy with him. Um, and we find out later sort of why that is. Um, which uh, we don't have to keep it a secret because we should all know this already, that uh, Godsacre is uh, a deserter and was actually hanged or tried to be hanged. And the hanging didn't really take, I guess. Um, <laughs> but like he still has like the rope burn, um, which is unfortunate because that's like a sure sign mm -hmm. <laughs> that something is wrong. Um that doesn't work out so well for him later. Uh, yeah, I mean, <coughs> excuse me, sorry. Um, I I do find it interesting that Godsacre like doesn't mince sort of words around his, uh, like once it's revealed, he doesn't sort of tried to make excuses he's just like yeah i, I was a coward and mm -hmm. i tried to desert like he kind of he just sort of owns up to it and you know for better or worse he just kind of admits you know this is who mm -hmm. i am um which you know allows for the later like you know the coward who's not really a coward kind of trope mm -hmm. um which is fine like i don't actually don't i'm fine with that turn or that you know um thing that he does of like the you know i may be a coward but like in this one time i'll stand up and then it kind of works out for him i guess um right and this is his redemption for you know that right. earlier moral failing so uh yeah i mean i don't I don't know that I have a ton to say about him other than just like 
I guess it reflects back. Like it makes you wonder, I guess, when you like look back at kind of the things he does throughout the episode, like is his sort of, uh, you know, attempts to, you know, keep a measured approach and sort of, you know, sue for peace is, is that like born of his cowardice or like mm. his noble, like desire to not like have unnecessary bloodshed, you know, like, is he like really looking out for his men or is he just being a, you know, wuss? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And I don't know. Cause like, I mean, on the other hand, like if you, if you take into account the, you know, attempt to sacrifice himself at the end, like that does seem very much driven by a genuine concern for his men. So like, I don't know that like you can't, be concerned for your men and also just be you know a coward <laughs> like sure like maybe like i don't i don't know that i would go so far as to say he's like completely self-serving in those moments even if like there is a self-serving element to his desire for not wanting to cause bloodshed um yeah i, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that sort of yeah thing. or like he kind of, like you said, he doesn't mince words. He says that he he owns up to what he did, like it was cowardice and I deserted or whatever. But we still don't know exactly what happened. And it kind of also makes me think, like, in a, in a culture, whether it's these soldiers or whether it's, you know, the Ice Queen and her army, um, that places such a value on military, like, you know, might. Mm -hmm. of like the crushing of your enemies and all that kind of thing are those kinds of, you know, reservations labeled cowardice. Like, is it, um, you know, again, we don't know the circumstances of like his desertion or, you know, what he really did, but maybe he's kind of, not a very bloodthirsty guy, obviously, you know. Um, now, he might be scared of dying himself, but he also might, it seems to be, like you said, that he actually genuinely cares about his men or finding a peaceful solution if he can. And so I wonder if, like, his more pacifist personality is sort of, you know, I don't know, stigmatized a little bit, like seen as kind of the the wuss's way out when, because he's not like catch love is who is all about, you know, empire, but as much for what that gets him as anything else, like getting all the money and the land and the fame and the praise and the glory that he can. Mm -hmm. um, sure. You know, and I don't know, maybe he's a little parallel to Friday there, like a peacemaker among, you know, among soldiers who aren't typically that way. Right. Well, yeah, and I think that's how he comes across until you find out that he was a deserter and admits that he's a coward. And like, so again, like maybe it's okay. Like maybe both of those things can actually be true um and i think 
but that's of course like not typically the the narrative right it's like if you're a coward it means you're just totally looking out for yourself and don't care about anyone else Mm -hmm. or and if you're not a coward then that means like you know maybe it's not that you want war but you're totally willing to no matter what do you know the war thing and you know fight and whatever right Um, right your willingness to fight and kill is seen as a moral good right in the context of wartime or an imperial culture so which i don't think that is always the case like there's lots of people i think that we would you know i mean there are certainly people in the world who feel that way but by no means do all people feel that way you know where like sure since when is you know your willingness to fight and to kill the only way that we judge you know courage or you know moral standing so yeah i mean it would be helpful if we knew a little more about his desertion like was it a refusal to kill was it an abandonment of his post was it failing sure. his men we don't know exactly what the actions were so i think that makes it hard for us to really say for sure like is he a coward or not um you know or a coward by what standard yeah um well by catch loves certainly yes um and well, well kind I of think his everybody own, like, is by you know well but also i mean by like Again, Godsacre sort of admits now whether he's just accepting Keshlov's narrative on himself, and like maybe maybe there is, you know, some sort of mitigating circumstance. Then, uh, you know, we don't really know. Like you say, like we don't have that background. But um, I I think Keshlov is certainly more of a straightforward character as far as Mm -hmm. all of that goes. Like, I don't think there's like you can apply much ambiguity there. Like he, he clearly despises Godsacre. Um, although it's interesting to me that he's kept silent until now about Godsacre's, um, you know, desertion and, and hanging and all of that. Like mm-hmm. maybe that's just because like they were looking for gold and he thought he was going to get rich and he didn't really like, care that much you know about like who was in charge as long as like they all benefited from it like afterwards Mm -hmm. but when sort of the push comes to shove and it seems like they're you know going the wrong way at least in like you know catch is just like let's kill the martians and take what we want right like Mm -hmm. wouldn't be the first you know colonial invader to like do that um but yeah, just kind of uh Yeah, kind of waiting for the moment to maximize the benefit it can give him, I guess. Like, yeah, or or that it just it didn't it wasn't a big deal before now, right? Like it didn't matter like who was in charge, like because there was no real threat. Mm-hmm. And then once there's a threat, like if he like is seeing God's Acre as a coward and a deserter, then like once that threat actually you know, manifest, then, then it becomes more of an issue. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I don't, I mean, he, again, like a lot more straightforward, um, obviously 
in that way sort of screws things up like you know uh he prefers his own plan which doesn't go very well no uh and uh ends up causing a lot of fighting and tension and death no and for all his willingness to fight that includes like his own men like his plan in the end is to just hop ship and abandon everybody Mm -hmm. so so much for his leadership skills um yeah which i don't think ever we were ever truly convinced that he was leading you're not exactly like shocked by that like talk about selfishness like if cowardice is a form of selfishness then obviously so is like abandoning your people and deserting them to an enemy which is oh exactly what you know Right. You're accusing God's acre of having done. Right, right, to save himself. Yep. Yeah. Um so. Yeah. Um anything else about the Victorian guys? We kind of talked longer than I was expecting about them. Um we should definitely talk about the ice queen a bit. Mm-hmm. Um although I don't have a ton to say about her, but I you know you get sort of the like, you know, things that you know uh, imperial monarchs are supposed to do, like the, you know, what manner of fleshy worm are you, <laughs> like, um, which are right. fun kind and of whatever. Arrogant, yeah. Um, definitely. I mean, you mentioned that, like, yeah, like the Martians tend to be, you know, warlike and and invaders and all of that sort of thing, at least. As far as what we know of them, um, that certainly is the impression we got in Cold War and, mm-hmm. um, you know, other references to them, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what's interesting to me is that we do get more of a measured deliberation here. And I guess that goes back a lot to what Friday says, right? Um, mm-hmm. Sort of as someone who's interceding on behalf of the humans. Right. Um, who she seems to trust, although it's not clear to me if she knows him personally or just knows him as like a member of hmm. the brood. Like I yeah, don't, yeah, I don't know. Like there's no, they don't have like she has a name, but it's not clear that any of the ice warriors themselves have names other than Friday, who's given a name by the other, which actually right. is just occurring to me now that maybe that's part of the reason why he is different right like they give him a name um, sure names are important huh maybe just a little bit yeah uh yeah well, yeah i hadn't I mean, thought you know, of that when i was watching it but but yeah. maybe that's that's a function of why he does become different or thinks differently yeah. um because she doesn't address him by name and none of the other i mean the others are just seem to be like your sort of normal insectoid, you know, cannon fodder. Like, not no like individuality. Um, just do right. what the queen orders. Right. Well, and I do think that that kind of we do get some more measured deliberation in this episode, like you said. But in the end, that's kind of where Cold War ends up too. And so I kind of like that the Ice Warriors are. They're not Daleks. They're not like, um, you know, 
Nazis that are pure evil and like mm-hmm. looking to destroy the universe and rule everything themselves. Like these, the Ice Warriors are certainly, you know, a bit warmongering and a bit, you know, imperialist. So they're not like, you know, they're certainly not like peaceful, you know, but I do think we're supposed to see that they have reason and honor like that there's you know there's thought behind what they're doing and like they do you it seems like the stories that feature them at least in new who ends up with them kind of in some sort of dialogue with the doctor or whoever it is that they're fighting um and usually it comes down to some sort of misunderstanding of two sides that feel as though they're under attack and are being aggressive in sort of self-defense. Um, so it's a, like they're more nuanced than some of the kind of like purely evil alien invaders that, that mm-hmm. we get. Um, I also do kind of like that to give the twist of like this kind of noble warrior race of aliens that seems to be if not fully matriarchal, at least somewhat kind of egalitarian. I think that's that that adds a new layer to, you know, I wouldn't have seeing as like all the ice warriors we meet are male. Um, I wouldn't have kind of assumed that from what we saw of them, but to kind of find that like, Oh, there's an ice queen and she's the one who sort of, is the military leader. Um, it's just a, you know, if you're, again, so, if you're going to bring them back, do something like a little different, which I'm just remembering that Mark Gatiss wrote Cold War too. Um, and that was another one where like, he had a good twist for them where you've kind of, for the first time in the series found out that, what you see on the outside is just like a suit and on the inside it's like the slimy skinny snaky kind of thing um mm-hmm. which is like i feel like this does something similar of take an assumption that you had about this particular alien and kind of undo that assumption and try something a little bit different with it sure Um, yeah. So, uh, I also like, so, I mean, we kind of, I think we brought up that like the Ice Queen and Bill kind of had their moment, but if we, maybe that was before we started recording, I can't remember, um, kind of have the moment of like, you know, the, the Ice Queen you know, looking to Bill as the other female, right? Like, we're surrounded by all these men. And it makes me wonder, like, like, what does, like, does the Ice Queen sort of, because you could, you could sort of get, like, you know, she has her brood, right? And she's in charge and everyone sort of listens to her. Um, Even if Friday is sort of giving counter advice like it's Mm -hmm. not like 
disrespectful, right? It's like, well, here's my opinion and, you know, do what you will with it. Right. But um, I kind of wonder, like, does she, does she get, like, is there, like, cultural differences there? Like, of, like, why are all of these men in red, you know, not listening to the woman here? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, or is it, I mean, or maybe being, you know, an alien race that has invaded other planets and they, I don't, we don't really know, I guess, do have the Martians like actually left Mars? Like, I guess they do. Cause like the, the Friday had a ship, right? Like, and yeah, had gone right. to earth, but yeah, like, had so they I got outside of the solar system? Like, I don't know. Uh, yeah, that I don't know. Um, so yeah, so like maybe she understands like, yes, the, this is some weird culture where the men are in charge and that's bizarre, but you know, it's what we're working with. Um, but also like the fact that like they're sort of the lone women among all of these men, you know, what is the, uh, you know, what's the thought there that that bill has as far as like what's going on but i mean she reinforces what friday says and and uh you know acknowledges that like you know we saved his life we're not interested in taking more lives you know on the whole or at least most of us aren't and you know sort of wants to preserve that piece as well um yeah any more about i mean it's it's pretty brief but any other thoughts about ice queen and bill interacting there like um no i don't think so no i think yeah like i think it seems to be that she does kind of make some sort of assumption that because we're female our opinions are sort of worth a little bit more which kind of maybe does explain like why she's a bit befuddled by these victorian humans running around not listening to bill sure i mean clearly you should always listen to bill but but i mean that's a given she she doesn't have the perspective of having seen all the other stuff bill has been right about um sure Yeah. And then, so, I mean, I don't know how much more to say about the Ice Queen. Um, She decides after, you know, the gun accidentally, like, discharges and all of that, she she decides that she's going to be merciful and grant them all quick deaths. Um, But then later, like does actually provide mercy for uh, uh, God's acre when he sort of Mm -hmm. steps up and um, takes catch love out of the equation and, you know, presents himself for his punishment. And she says, no, like you can serve me instead. Mm -hmm. Um, which then brings t- them to the point of like creating the message, right? But now it's changed because we're not uh 
you know, obviously the assumption, which would make sense to us, is, you know, God save the queen. That's, you know, a British or, or Commonwealth, you know, sort of saying. Um, I mean, not that other, like, cultures don't say it about their monarchs as well, but that's sort of the context that we're sort of led to think about it in. And so by the end, though, we're we're wondering, like, oh, this actually probably is referring to the Martian Ice Queen, mm-hmm. right? Um, so not really like a message for earth per se. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a sign for, uh, the passing Alpha Centauri to find them. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. I feel like I, there should be more of a wrap up to the episode, but I, there's not like, I don't have anything else to say. So any, any final thoughts? Uh, no, do we want to talk about Nardole and Missy for a minute, or... Oh, yes, of course. Sorry. I, I <laughs> But, like, totally the main yes. part of the episode, no, I think that's kind of... I actually think we found some nice things to say about this episode. I don't think it's that deep, but, um, but I think it's, I, it's perfectly watchable and pleasant, and, sure. like, I, you know... You know, the, the... We weren't Gatus as hard effect. on as I thought as we would be. The Gatus effect, notwithstanding, like I think, yeah, I think it's a it's a fine, like serviceable episode. I don't, I don't know that it's not. You're right, like it's not deep, but I don't, I I don't necessarily think that's bad. Like I don't think it's a bad episode. Um, yeah, no, it's not. It's like, yeah, I just don't think it's like a special or like particularly. Yeah. interesting one on the whole like comparative to every you know all the other episodes um yeah, yeah. but yes all and missy so Nard so Nardal makes his exit pretty quick um initially to go back to get something out of the tardis i forget exactly what he even goes back to get but then um the tardis like jumps right like Mm-hmm. And takes him back to the university in like the present day, and he can't figure out how to get it to go back to where he needs to go. So solicits Missy's help, um, and she's like, "Oh, of course I'll help if you just let me out of here." I can, right, let me you know, show it's you. It's easier for me to do it. Yeah. And and you know, so then there's like a a cut, you know, cliffhanger, you know, which we don't resolve until like the very end of the episode uh which is that you know nardal does come in the tardis to get them um i almost said to save them but like they're kind of at that point not really in danger i mean other than like eventually running out of air and food and stuff um they're not really in danger anymore Mm -hmm. right so it's just kind of like pick them up now that all the danger's over um and then of course Missy is in the TARDIS. Mm-hmm. Um, which, that little exchange at the end is interesting. So, like, you get her asking if the doctor's all right, and he's like, this can't happen, I have to put you back in the vault. And she seems to accept that, but, like, also seems to recognize that he's not himself, that there's something really wrong. Mm. Um I don't know that 
like we have a sense of what that is at this point. Like I, I, I was trying to think, I mean, I know sort of, I don't remember all the details about what's coming, but I know obviously like sort of, I've seen the other episodes and the rest of the season. So like, I know kind of the broad strokes of what's happening. So I don't like, is there something that I'm missing at this point? Like some hint to. I didn't quite take it that way. I sort of took it as supposed to be her genuine, like concern about, is he okay? Like you're supposed to be sort of a little bit, I don't know, like alarmed by the fact that like, like you said, like she's fine with going back in the vault and like, but that's not even important. What she wants to know is like, like she was almost like really worried. Yeah. Like, no, and I, that this is a new kind of level of, you know, intimacy of her genuinely being afraid that like he was in trouble. Um, so I didn't take it so much as okay. her perceiving anything off with him. It's more like, since when does like Missy really worry about I, if the doctor's okay? I agree with that. I guess I was maybe looking, maybe I was just looking too closely at it to try to see what's underneath that. But um, but I don't, that, that never occurred to me. So I'm not saying that that's not an interesting thought. Um, and they are, you know, the last of the Time Lords. They certainly know each other very well. So maybe she is, you know, tuned into a frequency that, you know, the other characters wouldn't be necessarily. Well, we can talk about that if it comes up. For now, though. We should talk about Angel. Yep. Peace. Peace out. Peace out. Um, I want to start with Angel himself in the Spider Demon world because we get a couple scenes. It's not one scene, but it's kind of like a separate little section of the episode in the beginning mm-hmm. that then, um, kind of like Missy and Nardle leaves off in a cliffhanger. And only to sort of emerge later. Like you don't really necessarily find out what the re- what the resolution is until he sort of shows up. Until he starts um, climbing up the cliff. Yeah. <laughs> Haha. Um. So. So there are several cliffhangers involved. Um, yes. Anyway. So yeah. So he is in this world of spider demons um, who are surrounding him and coming closer um and then i'll run away when he shows the orb to them so um you know that was good um right that seemed lucky that that worked that worked out fine um so yeah there's uh we don't really get much exploration of the world itself it's sort of like he sees that there's this temple you know Mm -hmm. high up on a sheer cliff face like this kind of like plinth that goes straight vertically up um that he has to sort of climb you know like cliffs of insanity sort of like you know (laughs) right um (laughs) straight straight up to the top um where he meets the high priest um who is the guardian of the word and the Mm -hmm. caretaker of the temple um 
so he's trying to find out the name, right? By this point, he knows, he knows from the previous episode with talking with Wesley that they sort of figure out um, right. that the name is important. Um, and much confusion ensues as he tries to figure out, like, who exactly knows the name because right. the guardian, oh, I, I wrote world in my notes. The guardian of the word um, is, the, you know, guardian of the word keeper, which refers to the keeper of the name, who's the right. one that knows the name. And so right. they have this like little Laurel and Hardy exchange about <laughs> who are, you know, like what, what's, who's the name? No, what's, what's the, the word name? keeper? What's the, the, the word? No, I'm the guardian. I thought you were the keeper. Like, it's all this, like, right, right. little funny. Um, yeah, and then, so then, you know, the keeper of the name is this big, scary demon with, like, his mouth is kind of, like, sewn shut, right? So it's like, yeah. you have to beat him in battle in order to, you know unleash the word from his sewn mouth. Um, of course. Right. Which he does. And, mm. you know, successfully beats and uh, we've, we'll find out later, uh, beheads him. And, yeah. Anything else about that section? I mean... No, I mean, it's pretty... Just like it's fairly straightforward, moving but... pieces around and and yeah, getting you know, finding the thing and you know, bringing it back. It's it's the MacGuffin of the episode, mm -hmm. um, yeah. And we do get a little bit of like kind of backstory about um, the priest, you know, being this uh, another all the spider demons are true believers in the same way that all the humans are becoming true believers. Like they're under Jasmine's mm -hmm. spell, um, you know, that like they live in this barren hellscape, but like it's this paradise that she, you know, sort of benevolently created for them. And they're, you know, believing and waiting for the day that she'll return and, you know, come right. back to them and everything. So I guess kind of hinting at the future that could await Earth if she's, you know, allowed to sort of completely take over with no resistance. Mm -hmm. Which... Well, yes, but we also get from Jasmine that it was sort of a failed experiment, right? So, like, right. they all seem to be believing in that, but that's not necessarily, like, like, I don't get the sense from Jasmine that she has any plans to go back there. Right. Um, right, or even that she, like, failed experiment implies that, like, she doesn't even, you know, believe in the truth of her own message as far as the spider demons are concerned. Um, sure. Like, is it, they all believe that they are her beloved people and this is their, you know, utopia, but she doesn't seem to share that belief if that's the failed experiment then she's kind of ready to move on from that and sure. not necessarily seeing that as a place that she wants to go back to right right and for whatever like i don't i mean 
maybe she can't eat them in the same way she can eat humans, or maybe they're not as, I don't know, tasty or whatever. Um, I don't know what sort of sensations are involved there. But, um, yeah, it just seems to be like, like there's whatever the humans are giving her, the spider demons can't eat. Mm-hmm. Like, because there seems to be like plenty of them left. Mm-hmm. At least implied by like the fact that they're all surrounding um you know angel in the beginning but also like interesting that there's like these other creatures like the keeper and the uh high priest and whatever like they're not spider demons they're something different um so yeah i don't i mean i don't know i don't we don't know what that means and like at this point we're probably not going to find out knowing what happens you know by the mm-hmm. end of the episode but um we don't really right. know and like why particularly Jasmine left other than just that like she seems to want to spend a lot of time getting to earth you know uh for whatever reason um and abandon this place yeah, and why do we have a keeper and a guardian? Like, is this kind of... If, if this is just, like, one of the worlds that she sort of, you know, made her own, like, why even have the keeper Yeah, why tell anyone there? your name? Um, yeah. You know, or would that imply that, like, is this, like, the original in some sense? Like, is this the first of her worlds and so that's why it's sort of the place of those secrets or is it like there would be like a keeper and a guardian wherever she goes like are they kind of some sort of necessary part of well, you know i mean i don't think we have a sense that there is that that you know we have anyone like that on earth yet right but why are they there as opposed to anywhere else um or why do they exist at all I don't know if we ever get, like, a canonical explanation. I can mm-hmm. tell you what I think, and then you can sure. say either that doesn't make sense or or it does. Um, I do think that this is, like, the world that Jasmine went to when, like, she and the other, like, original demons were sort of chased away from mm-hmm. Earth. Um, I don't have any, like... I don't have any reason for believing that other than that's just what I believe. Cause like, I don't think there's enough to say like, would it, I mean, would it be any different if there were like 20 other worlds that she's been to since then? Okay. Like, sure. Like we could say that, but like, mm-hmm. I don't know that it matters one way or the other. I do think that eventually, I think because of, there's like a power that's associated with her name, right? Mm-hmm. In a way that yeah. um, it's not with like humans and vampires and stuff, right? Like, because you get like the spider demon, like, like the spider demon saying that, you know, oh, you throw around your names too freely, basically, right? right? Um, right. And so I think there's a sense where like if she were to like rule and continue ruling for a long time, probably would have to use her name 
in some way or form way or form but like this seems to be like like the thing of like okay i have to use my name but like i also need to like keep it locked up and like not everyone can know it so like there's like the one guy who's like sort of the i don't know the scapegoat or the you know whatever mm-hmm. that can like know my name and like through which i can like keep my power but like i also don't want to like have anyone screw it up so i don't like i you know i don't think we're getting to the end of the season we can talk about the strengths and weaknesses of the season when we get to the end um i don't know that it's like ever i would be surprised if this was one of the things that they like fully fleshed out like what are the you know, exact, like, powers and impacts of, like, Jasmine's name. Um, Mm -hmm. But when the name is, again, like, I don't, I don't know this, but, like, you get the impression of, like, the name is said and it takes away her power. So is that, like, like, is part of her power, like, having to keep it secret? Like, is Mm -hmm. there something in, like, someone other than her knowing what the name is, but like not saying it, that's like helping to like generate at least some of her power. Mm-hmm. Maybe like, yeah. Um, because of that, I think eventually there would be someone on earth who would have yeah that similar function, mm-hmm. um, whether it's like just bringing the guy from, you know, the keeper from the other place into earth and like, transplanting him there or like actually having like a human you know take over that function I, you know I don't, I don't know i'm sure they probably didn't really think too hard about it because they knew it wouldn't matter the writers i mean um yeah no and i think that's that's fine i think it's like suggestive of things which is well and so the other thing i was just going to say is that like you get the moment of her telling like the people right before angel comes back like oh, you know, if you want to build me, like, a big temple and, like, all this. Like, well, why would you need any of that? I mean, other than to, like, satisfy your own ego, which I suppose is certainly possible. But, like, maybe maybe it would be, like, this huge, like, cliff or thank spire type thing, you know, like what Angel climbs up and, uh, you know, would be a similar type of place where you might put someone who knows your name and has their mouth sewn shut. I don't know. Right. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that makes you connect back to the demon world as like, potentially this is where Earth is headed if she is allowed yeah. to. Right. You know, like, oh, you just have to love each other, but a temple would be nice. You know, like, you know, that's kind of a pointer to that. Although it, I, and maybe we should come back to this when we talk about like the angel versus Jasmine scenes at the end. But it does make me wonder, like, to what extent does she, again, believe in her own lies and her own myth? Um, mm-hmm. Because if she if she recognizes that the spider world was an unpleasant place and a failure to some extent, then so she sees through. She's not caught up in the lie that the demons are that. Everything is perfect and beloved. She she knows that her own lies are lies. Okay, so... I I, mean, I... I mean, I I think we 
maybe are a hundred percent knowing that now I think we could have maybe like made the argument earlier that like she was that kind of benevolent bad guy who did believe in that what they're in some ways I think she does think who, what who she's believes doing in is, her own goodness yeah sure um I mean and and that's part of the argument she makes to Angel is you know but like when she says like you're the reason that you know this world is now like people are running around and scared and all this like does she genuinely think that her version would have been better it's kind of given the demon world it's a little hard to say that that's true so those are just kind of empty like you know her railing against angel she doesn't necessarily believe that if she were in charge everything would be blissful and perfect um Well, I mean, I think so. I think there's a sense in which she does think that because it would be blissful and perfect for her because she for has her. a free source She's of food, in charge, yeah. like in perpetuity, right? Like, and I think there is a sense in which, like, she does genuinely believe the argument of like, I'm making these people happy and. Who are you to sort of, you know, tell them they can't be happy? Like, do you see all the pain and, like, confusion you've caused by, you know, uh, freeing? She doesn't use that term exactly. But, like, you know, by by showing these people who I am, you know, or whatever. Like, I think there's probably a sense of that. But, I like how much of that is just like rationalization versus actual, mm -hmm. you know, um, belief. I don't know. Like, I mean, she does seem to have more self-awareness when she's talking about like what she did to the previous demon world, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, as like an experiment rather than, um, you know, what she plans to do with the human world. But I don't, I don't, I think, like, total, this is total guessing and, I don't know, maybe a bit of cryptic on my part. Or like, like, if you had to, like, boil down to, like, what do I think Jasmine truly believes? Like, I would say, like, she probably knows that she's, you know, being disingenuous for the most mm -hmm. part. Um, that's just my sense of things, though. I don't. I, I think there's a lot that's left to be desired here as far as, like, explaining that kind mm -hmm. of stuff, so. Sure. Okay. Well, we even kind of jumped ahead. We can go back to their conversation at the end. Um, but kind of getting back into the plot, most of this episode deals with the prep for this sort of world broadcast that she's going to beam her mm -hmm. her love and her message out internationally um you know to the entire world so it's sort of gathering all of the cameras and the reporters for that and her meals seem to be getting bigger like you know she's gone from like one or two people to like you know a small circle to like now we have entire rooms 
undressing and getting ready for, you know, so she's sort of, it seems that pretty quickly it's an exponential thing with her feasts. I, so yes, I, I see where you're saying that. I, I get the sense that that's because of the, that that's related to the amount of effort that she has to put into sure uh this particular event like she's broadcast sure. she's getting camera ready for like yeah. like the more people she's exposing herself to the more effort it takes you know yeah. to kind of keep up appearances um but that's going to make- continue to be true right like if well no because it's a one time thing like i don't know that like like, once everyone has seen her on TV, she doesn't need to go back on TV to show everyone again. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just the people around, like, back to sort of the normal. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong about that. Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends on how much you believe her when she says, like, she eats thousands to save billions. Like, is that always going to be true? Like, is she eventually going to eat all the billions, too? Like, right. maybe. I don't know. Um is there, like, a pace at which, like, people can, like, keep having babies in order to, like, keep her fed for eternity? Like, maybe that's true, too. Um, yeah, I don't, I mean, I that was my sense was that it was more, like, this is special effort involved. Because there's also, like, her comment about not, like, being in touch with Connor for a bit. And, like that's a sort of temporary but necessary thing that Mm -hmm. doesn't seem to be true. Like other times that she's eaten people. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Again, you can, you can read that differently though. Like my reading isn't necessarily the only or the correct version. It's just my sense of it. Sure. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, yeah, and, and it is kind of a little bit of her weak spot in this episode that she ends up having to go through so much effort to do this broadcast because Mm -hmm. kind of in cutting herself off from Connor and like both kind of psychically and also just like not really keeping as close an eye on him as she might have Um, and kind of not dealing with the Wesley Gunn, Fred, Lorne contingent right away, but kind of just saying like, well, uh, put them downstairs and, you know, in the, in the cage and I'll deal with them later. Um, Those end up being bad calls. Right. So she's distracted bit, when, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> when they're down there um, speaking all kinds of logic to Connor um, and, you know, planting thoughts and ideas in his head. Um, some of which he can hear better than others. It's not like he's suddenly won over by their amazing reasoning skills. Um, sure. It's more that concern for Cordy. That's like the one thing that gets through to him is Fred kind of appealing to just his sense of, you know, affection for her and like, Mm -hmm. aren't you worried about her? Like, you don't know where he is. Like, 
you should probably like go figure that out. Um, you know, and Wesley's much more passive aggressive kind of, Oh, I wonder if Jasmine ate her, you know, like, um, like, you know, Fred's more the, the appeal to your emotion, you know, and Wesley's the one kind of planting the seeds of ideas. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe Jasmine is lying to you because she ate her. And so you should probably go find out for sure. Um, but, but what do I know? Yeah. Right. Uh, we're just, we can't do anything about it. We're just going to sit here. Um, so then while he's off figuring that out, they're all figuring out how to escape, which Gunn is the only one who has a real plan. Um, that actually does work. Um, he it's, just sort of Right. It's just keep kicking it until it opens. Kicks the cage open eventually. Um, um, yeah. It, yeah. And, which makes you wonder, like, if, like, uh, you know, um, um, when Angelus was sort of in there, like, would that have been, sure. you know, would he have de- been successful doing that? Because he's that was a design flaw. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, that's funny. That would have been funny if there was a line of them saying, like, um, guys, like, <laughs> we didn't realize you could do this. Um, yeah, may, you might want to reinforce the the door a little bit before right. the next time um so yeah so they get him thinking and out there uh searching which like i think we've said that in the past couple episodes like the one area where connor seems to question what he's told is in relation to cordy Mm -hmm. um But he doesn't get much credit for that because it turns out that he has been able to see Jasmine as she really is, like, this whole time. Like, he was under the spell, though, right? It's only since they gave him the blood that he can see her. Because he gets the opposite impression because he gets he gets pretty silly along with Angel, when it, when it, when they first are under the spell, and it's like, we're going to sing songs about our love of Jasmine. That's sure. a little hard for me to see as in character of Connor outside of, like, the mind control. Yeah. I think there's open... Or I think there's room yeah. for interpretation. <laughs> um, I think... I think you could say that, like, he always has... Because he, he, like, he says, he's like, I grew up in Kortoth. Like, I, I... Part of it's not knowing exactly how Jasmine's spell works. Does she appear, you know, beautiful and whatever to everyone? Or only to the people that she needs to? Right? Like, it's clear that, like, once you're exposed to her blood... They, you know, those people can see her for who she truly is. You know, maybe Connor never needed to see her in any other way than what she truly was because he's, he says, like, he doesn't, he doesn't need this to, like, beauty isn't, you know, that important to him because of his time growing up in Kortoff. Like, Mm -hmm. 
whether you sure believe did. him or not, yeah. like, is that, yeah. is that true? Okay, like, we, I mean, Connor has certainly lied about things in the past, so, like, I, you know, maybe he's whatever. I, I kind of agree with you that, like, personality-wise, it's hard to see him getting up there and singing Mandy with Angel without being <laughs> under some kind of spell. Right. Um, right. Right, because so they it's come certainly, back like besties. It's certainly it's certainly possible that like right, and I mean right, other things that go along with that sort of activity, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah, so like I don't I don't think it's a stretch at all to say that he was under a spell. I think. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't know. I think there, like I said, there's room for ambiguity there. I think. Yeah you could try to make an argument either way. And I don't, mm -hmm. I don't know that there's enough evidence to like sufficiently yeah. disprove one of right. those. Things, right. Cause but. like the counter argument too, is like, well, even if he, even if he doesn't judge on scary demon appearances, if he was under the spell and they kind of did the blood ritual so that he could suddenly see her, you would have he would have registered some sort of surprise at least about like oh she was this beautiful woman and now she's this maggoty even if he didn't necessarily conclude that like oh she's evil he might have that you would think there would at least be a second of like whoa that's not well and though i mean kind of the whole like i don't you know i don't see beauty you know or like like you know i mean that was why he was into Cordy. Like how many times does he call her? Exactly. Beautiful? Like, exactly. So yeah. I, yeah, yeah, I don't. Yeah. Well, and I think it's perfectly he was, legitimate. Like, pretty terrified of Lauren in the beginning, you know, like as a, like a demon. Yeah. Right. Like he was totally prejudiced about Lauren's appearance as like green horn demon opposed to the human characters. Like he saw that as a reason for Lauren to be, you know, a threat. Yeah. So I'm not buying it, Connor. Yeah. No. And he's definitely with Cordy and with, you know, some other young ladies, he's definitely noticed, you know, right. when he, he notices beauty if he sees it. So yeah, the idea that like, I don't know. I think they could have made that idea work somehow of like it's not the be all and the end all that he is maybe has a more you know like I don't know a different perspective on good and evil as a, as it relates to demonic appearance but um I think you'd have to kind of finesse that a bit more and make it a like explain a little bit more how he comes to that conclusion because yeah, just kind of seeing the way she's portrayed with the kind of rotting maggot face. Mm -hmm. It's a little hard to imagine that he saw that and then concluded that's the most beautiful, wonderful being I've ever seen, which is how he acts like they all do <laughs> when she first shows up. Right. So that's why I kind of took it as like, he's exposed to the truth and just comes to a different conclusion than the rest of them. But even that doesn't quite make sense. So like you said, there's, 
there's reasons for and against both interpretations. Yeah. Um. Well, and like, so in his little monologue there, he talks yes. about, um, oh, where was I? I was trying to find the exact line here that I wanted. Um, uh, how he's like frustrated with like, you know, she brings peace to everyone, purging all their hate and anger, but not me, not me. I know she's a lie. My whole life's been built on them. I just, I guess I thought this one was better than the others. And it's like, is that enough to explain his sort of mania with like, 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 is he, is he trying to fake it till he makes it with like mm. Angel and the rest? It's hard to say because, like, he immediately with Angel starts acting that. Like, he he doesn't, like, observe people acting a certain way and then, like, right, and then mimic like, copy that. them. Yeah. It's like he and Angel are the two who start immediately right. acting that way because they're the first right. two who, to see her. Right. So, so it kind of would seem odd if that were the case, if he was just like, all right, I'm just going to go with the crowd here and, you know, clap when they clap and cheer when they cheer and, mm -hmm. you know, stand up and recite, you know, the prayers when they all do. You um, know, which would have been a more interesting approach because it seems like if that's your, the take on the character is like he grew up without any sort of real moral guidance to know like if you're going to go down the route of connor cannot literally cannot tell right and wrong because yeah. nobody ever taught him sure. um you could have done it like that where he can't distinguish whether she is genuinely good or not and he's compelled to to just assume that she is good based on what everybody else does and then feels betrayed when they change their minds. You know, like, sure. like, hey, we were all getting along great. What happens? Why do you all of a sudden hate her? And uh, why are you looking to ruin this? Not that, like, because I think what they kind of are saying is, like, he knows, he knows it's a lie. He's just choosing the lie that seems like the best life, which makes him like Jasmine, like, you know, you're, you see through sure. the, the deception of your own, like, you know, projection or whatever. But I don't know. I, now that I think about it, I kind of like, I, I kind of like would have liked something like that where like here, I don't think he's morally relativist. He knows the difference. He's just choosing to ignore it. Whereas mm -hmm. I think you could have done something where, he grew up in this other world with this sort of vengeful psychopath. He could have had a genuinely kind of relativistic worldview of good and evil is only what like my authority figure tells me it is. And he has no barometer to judge for himself. Hmm. But I don't think that's the case here. Like, I don't think they... Right. They're not they're not committing to it. They want also to like the monologue makes it clear that he knows he's just like angry that it's not 
the version that he wants to be true. Well, and and again, it just goes back to like, at what point is that the case? Is it from the beginning or was it from the blood? Right. And I think... Right. And maybe there's no I way to know for sure. I think we've kind of said yeah. we both think it's probably from the blood, right? I That's what I lean towards. Maybe there's no yeah. way to know for sure, but that's what makes more sense to me than the than the reverse. Yeah, that he was under the spell initially. Um and that the blood did expose him. He just reacted differently than everybody else did. Mhm. But yeah. But like dude, you know, if that's that's still not satisfying because it's like then he would have known why is he then acting if he's if he knows it's a lie but he's choosing the nice lie why are you surprised when other people choose differently like he's ready to kill them here you know for not just going along with it and he knows that like, he doesn't think they're evil. I mean... He thinks that, like, you're not buying into the same lie as me, and you're spoil sports. So, yeah, off with your heads. Yeah, I guess how much how much you chalk that up to, he's, like, completely invested in the lie. Like, well, his complete clearly. investment in the, in the lie would be... Anyone who doesn't agree with me should be killed, right? Like and that's yes, no. He he definitely is completely invested. He is completely invested. I guess just that makes again they are not working very hard to make his character more sympathetic. <laughs> yeah, like like they 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 must know. That he's certainly tough, by this point in the season, a tough they pill know. to swallow, yeah. and it's just interesting to me that they keep hammering that home harder. Like rather than say, like, "Oh, we we went too far. Let's pull it back." It's like, no, let's make him make more and more questionable or outright despicable choices. Let's definitely talk that through when we get to the series finale and and or, yeah. or like the season recap even like yeah how much of this is like choosing to like make connor as despicable <laughs> as possible versus and maybe they like, want him to be but it's hard to understand what the motivation for that would be because sure you also have angels sort of investing in you know so when he's fighting the demon and the the guardian is talking to him the guardian says it's for your son that you're fighting so like if that's what we're supposed to be like investing in emotionally kind of makes it tough when yeah, yeah. when when connor's not exactly and like 
they're all flawed. I don't think the problem here is that he's like a flawed character. It's sure. A, it's that's a different quality, you know. I think there's a difference between like flawed characters who you understand again their reasons, even if you don't always agree with them. Mm-hmm. You know. Whereas I, I think Connor's more like, I don't know. What are we supposed to root for here? Sure. Yeah. I think that's a good question. What are we supposed to root for? So, I mean, maybe, maybe we kind of come to the end. Like, I mean, uh, unless there's anything else you want to touch on with Connor, we kind of touched on like, well, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say maybe we could do the like Angel, Jasmine, Connor stuff and kind of. Right, like the ending. There. Start to wrap up with that. Yeah. Um, And we kind of talked around it a bit, like with Jasmine and Angel's conversation and everything. Um, sure. You know, and Angel goes so far as to kind of say like. You know, if you really want to make a difference, you can do that. Like, we can use people with power to try to make a difference. Um, that. Yeah. It's not clearly with, what she's really with interested Jasmine. in. Yeah. You mean. So, yes. like, was that... Yeah, did you... Because, like, we've seen things in the Buffyverse where, like, the bad guy becomes less bad, maybe, or... Well, you so know. that's one of the one of the things that's contributing to this question for me of how much does she believe in her own lie? Like, like might, I mean, she doesn't take this option. So maybe that answers the question, but I think there up until this episode, I think you could have maybe had some chance that like, yeah, she's a liar, but maybe she believed in what she was selling. You know, or thought sure. she was going to bring paradise to Earth. Um, right. Like, maybe there's I, I a genuine... Like, maybe she actually was sort of, like, a power that be that just sort of, sort of right. got on the wrong path. Right. Whereas I think it's not until now that you really realize for sure that that's not the case. Um, so, here's my question, though. She talks about herself like she is a power. Is she? She she calls herself a power that was. Like right. Now that and she's... she talks about the other powers that be. Yeah. So it's a good, I that's never, a good question. I never um identified the powers that be with the like original demons that roamed the world. Mm-hmm. But it seemed that that was what she was, at least in her sort of origin myth. Um but now yeah. again, she's talking about herself as one of the powers that be, like one of the good ones, like you know the ones that are nominally supposed to be guiding Angel, and you know he's the one that he's supposed to be the champion of and fighting for. Mm. Um, I mean, now she kind of sells them out and says. I don't care, but they don't, you know, you know that because like, 
of what you've seen, you know? Yeah. But she's kind of implying that she's one of them and that they are supposed to care, even if they don't. Um, so, yeah, maybe you can't answer that question, but that was the first time it really, I felt like that was really articulated, that she might be one of them. And not just like a rogue demon. So that's what a rogue demon is. Um, Hopefully we had a hunter uh, to take yeah, care of him. I, so you're right. Like she does refer to like the other powers. And um, she calls herself the powers that was. The pow- a, a, a power that was. Hmm. Um, there's also the priest who says so your powers that be tell you and maybe they're right but it's not why you're here right so is that does that mean that like different group people groups yeah like is there it like is angels powers different than other powers that be like maybe is that like right like so was she a power for the spider demon world and maybe the powers that be for Earth or something or, different. Or, or there are factions of powers. Like Right. Yeah. Um This is th- these are my questions. Yeah. They're good questions. I I put my stamp of approval on the questions. Um I'm not I mean, gonna answer or provide what I think are answers to that. Yeah. Because I guess it leads to larger like series arc questions about the nature of the higher powers and how benevolent are they or whose side are they? Are they really helping? Um, You know, she's good corollaries. These are all, yeah, these are all questions (laughs) that I think we've had before, but she's sort of contributing to them. Yeah. Well, and there's also the sense that we've gotten in Buffy as well of like the, increasing severity or power or um, threat or whatever of the different um, big bats. So like, here we are, like, you know, here we are now with like a power that it, like one of the like ruling powers of like life and existence, you know, is now like, this is, Mm -hmm even maybe a step above glory, right? Like in, in that like cosmic significance. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, we've learned already before, I believe that there's like, that there actually is like sort of hierarchies and that kind of thing. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not, I don't, I, I'm going to refrain from like answering any of those things, but like, I don't, I think those are all good questions to be thinking of. Um, I would even say if there is an answer to to be had, um, mm-hmm. we can keep our eyes open and maybe come up with one if there isn't one read- readily available in the text. Okay. I'm not saying there isn't one. Nice, uh, nice diplomatic careful answer um yeah so i think the only other thing 
to mention is uh, the little surprise at the end. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Which yeah. I thought was going to be Cordy. Because um, Cordy's still not awake. She um, is not. And And there's this kind of oh my god, surprise, you know, something or someone that they, you know, see at the door of the hotel. Mm. Um, and, uh... Right, like, not... when you just hear the voice and it's kind of like a... Like, you can't necessarily... You don't necessarily know that it's Lila yet. Right. Yeah, like, when Fred and the others just sort of open the door and someone's there. Um, but it's not Cordy. Um, it's... Lila, mm. who is alive somehow for some reason, um, and is yeah. Are we sure? Are we like, sure about well, the alive part? Well, we don't know. That's true. <laughs> um, I'm not suggesting one way or the other. I'm just saying. Right, she's physically present and talking. That's all we know. There yeah. are many different ways that that could be accomplished. I guess. Um, and I guess the most interesting thing is her kind of the impression I get is her annoyance at like what Angel has done to screw things up, which is kind of like kind of funny considering Cordy possessed by Jasmine killed her. And so like the idea that she's kind of, you know, I don't know, busting angels' chops for ruining world peace, you know, which Jasmine could give to the world, seems like not what you would expect. Um, sure, but that's so, also Lila, I mean. But that's also Lila. So, yeah, so how much of that is just her kind of snarky personality and how much of it is, like, did Angel, like, do something stupid without knowing it. Um, I guess we'll have to find that out. But I don't have any theories at the moment. Like, I don't really... Is there something about... Well, we didn't even talk about Connor Jill killing Jasmine, which maybe we don't need to spend oh, yeah. much time on it. Oh, yeah, that happens. Connor kills Jasmine. <laughs> I is mean, is there something like, does that have something to do with Lila's presence? Like, is there, I don't know. Right. Like, did it like, reverse but, right, like, what she did when? Right. I mean, that's the only obvious connection that I can think of, but, or, or there could I'll, be many other ways. I'll point out that like all the people she eats don't suddenly appear again. This is true. So, I mean, take that for what you will. Um, at least, I mean, not that we see. I guess that did all happen, like, in a room upstairs, so maybe it's possible, and we just don't know it yet. Um, yeah. Or I, I, you know, I just got distracted thinking, when Cordy killed her and made it seem like it was Angelus, was there, like, a sneaky thing where we didn't see the scene where she like became a vampire. Like Angelus finds her and she's sort of clinging to life, you know? 
Like that's the only other thing I can think of. Like maybe mm. she's a vampire. Could be. But then Angel wouldn't know that. He would or wouldn't? He would. I yeah, I just didn't hear what you said. He would remember um, if that was true. Right. Maybe he anyway. does. And just got distracted for a while. Okay. We'll find out. That's it. That's all I got. Those are my only two guesses. Okay. Well, they'll have to wait for a couple weeks because we're going back to Buffy. And, uh, yeah, uh, we're getting close to the end of that show. So. Mm, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I don't have any preface yeah, are to we that. Like penultimate episodes of both of these. No, seasons? so there's there's three more pre, Buffy pre penultimate for Buffy, and then this is the pen this was the penultimate episode for okay uh, Angel season four. Yes, the okay, next so episode three, three more of Buffy. The next episode of of Angel will be the season finale. Okay. Um. Which, you know, we've killed the big bad, so what's left? Right. I actually was going to mention that. Yeah, like, Jasmine's out of the picture, so what are we fighting in the last episode? Is so is this like a... Yeah, like, are are you expecting... I mean, I don't want to, like, hint towards anything, but, like, remember uh, season four of Buffy, mm -hmm. actually. Maybe it's something get, about season four. Don't get my hopes up. Of of Restless. Like, could this potentially be, like, your favorite episode of Angel? Like, my favorite episode ever. I think that still might be my favorite episode of Buffy. I mean... So, yeah, no, now my... I'm going to be completely disappointed. It ha I'm, that's the level I'm shooting for, is... <laughs> that's a high bar. Restless. Yeah. That's a high bar. Yeah. Um, who knows? I mean... We'll see what happens. But again, not next week, because next week we have an episode of Buffy uh, to deal with. The, the Yes, the pre-penultimate episode of Buffy. Um, I just like saying pre-penultimate, because most people don't know the next one after penultimate. Or before penultimate, I guess. Or is it anti-penultimate? Oh, maybe it is. I think you're right, actually. It's anti-penultimate. I think it's... See, and I didn't even... I was bragging, and wow. I, I got it wrong. You're right. It is anti-penultimate, I believe. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm so disappointed in myself. <laughs> um, yeah, because I think it's anti-penultimate, and then pre-anti-penultimate, and then pro-pre-anti-penultimate. Yeah, see, that's going back farther than I even know. Um, yeah, we're past those episodes, so we don't... Um. Yeah. Cool. I mean, so uh, just reminder that Buffy has been kicked out of her house, and Faith is yep. now sort of in charge, and yeah, uh, we're you know still not sure exactly what Caleb may or may not have, um, but the message seems to imply that it's not for him. So mm -hmm. yeah, that's uh, that's all to come up. Yeah, and 
the last standalone Doctor Who before the two-part finale is next. Oh, there, there so. you go. And we're just, it's all coming to a head. Mm-hmm. All right. Sounds good. See you then. Mm-hmm.